friends, a reading from the letter to the Ephesians by St. Paul. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it is now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The word of the Lord. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. And the cause of the poor people give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling of all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, 
For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, Herod, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascended from them that time the star had appeared, ascertained from them what time that star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that this word would come alive to us, and you would speak to us by your spirit through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, happy Epiphany to you all. Um, Christmas is over. There's only 12 days of it. I know we try to stretch it out all the way, you know, to Halloween and, and then beyond. I'm sure it'll take a while for us to take down all of our Christmas stuff and Christmas lights. I'm sure the same is with you. But, but time moves on, and now we're in the season of epiphany. This word epiphany means manifestation or revealing. Last week, we talked a little bit about this with uh, Christ's baptism, that at his baptism, John the Baptist baptized him, he comes up out of the water, and then the, the full trinity is there to confirm who he is, the Father and the Son, of course, and of course, the Spirit descending like a dove. And it was a revelation to John the Baptist, his disciples and the disciples of Jesus and all that were watching him, that this was the manifestation or epiphany of Jesus. Well, this story of the three wise men or the three kings or however many they are is a continuation of that epiphany. And so this is a typical um, time when we would preach about Matthew chapter two. The only gospel, by the way, that has this story these three kings, these three magi, these three uh, astronomers from the east. And here's, here's something that, I, that just popped into my head and heart this week when I was reading this. And it was such a conviction for me, not the least of which because there are times like this, maybe even this week for you, where this is so, so important for me to hear and know. That the same power that moves the cosmos, the stars in the heaven, that power truly is the love of God in Jesus Christ. None of it is by accident or by chance. Call this the providence of God or the will of God or the script of history. Did you know that in Hebrew there is no word for coincidence? Right? I know there's probably skeptics among us that would see something that would happen in history. Maybe even these prophecies that Matthew is so excited to tell us were fulfilled in Jesus as if they were just coincidence or happenstance or luck or maybe even worse, a manipulation of Jesus and people who wrote the Bible to trick us. But Matthew, especially this gospel, is full of these Old Testament um, fulfillments, these scriptures, these allusions. There are 61 Old Testament quotations in the Matthew of Gospel, the, the Gospel of Matthew alone. And then prophecies that have been specifically fulfilled 
in this gospel, 300 of them by Jesus. But even more than that, Matthew makes all these kind of connections that aren't, don't take a specific scriptural um, uh, verse cited. Take King Herod, for example. We read about him here. We know what happens next, or you probably remember the story. Herod gets freaked out. He's not interested in worshiping Jesus. No, he wants to eliminate him because of his own power and place. And so he slaughters children. And it reminds us of exactly what happens with King Pharaoh long ago. He did the same thing. And here's Egypt playing itself out again, and Jesus going to Egypt and sojourning there and then coming back, just like the Israelites did. And so there, too, you have this Old Testament illusion and shadowing being fulfilled now in Jesus himself. So like we talked about last week, the identity of Jesus, there's the speculation that comes about to me, and I know this is on this side of my eyes being opened and my heart being made new and me being given the truth by God through his word and by his spirit, but it seems silly to me that people would speculate, who is Jesus? Okay, let's move beyond that. He can't just be a moral good teacher. It's something much more profound or much more sinister or crazy. It's not as simple as he's just a good teacher. But the Gospel of Matthew just continues on. And it wants to tell us more. And it reveals more, this epiphany about who God is and what he is doing. I mean, even these magi. But he's revealing himself as we've just read in some of these other passages this morning. But listen to these words from Paul in 2 Timothy. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. There that word is purpose again, is providence, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested. There's that word again, revealed, this epiphany, has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It is the love of God that is moving this along. He has purpose, and he's revealing it to you and me because of his love. There's an old myth that once some men were digging a well and came upon a great flat stone. It was, they discovered, the foundation stone of this world's realm. So they decided to lift up, lift it up and see what lay beneath. And do you know what they found? They found love. That's how the myth goes. But it's, it's pointing to a truth that the foundation of the creation of this world is love. Love of the creator, the love of God. And that's the purpose of this revealing of Jesus, Jesus Christ was. And Matthew is trying to demonstrate that this has always been the plan of God. And I know for centuries there were people wishing for the Messiah to come and the Son of God to reveal himself. And it was like so slow and then boom, it all happened in a rush, in a flurry. The power that moves the cosmos is the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's moving in the world. It's moving in the heavens. It's also moving in you. We see it moving in the heavens because of this, well, the star of Bethlehem. What was it? There's all these books. You've probably read some of them or maybe Googled, you know, what was the star of Bethlehem? And there's lots of theories. 
Lots of smart, scientific-y type people, is that the right word? Who look at the stars and they can actually go back and look to see what eclipses were happening, what stars were in the sky, what time of night. I mean, it's, it's bizarre and amazing. But what I think it's important to not, to not miss is that there's something miraculous happening here at the story that I don't think can be easily explained by just looking back through time and saying, oh, the star Regulus was here and the moon was... Look what happens. And we just read this in, in verse, what is this, verse eight, verse nine. And listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. You have to understand where Jerusalem is and where Bethlehem is, is it's just a few short miles. I've been there. It's a bus ride. It's a day's walk. And so for this star to, to be in one place, guiding them from way wherever they were from the east, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, is not some sort of far off distant cosmic thing, but a cosmic thing that has come down close. It's local. It's made itself clear. And not just we're in the right region or we're in the right state or what. This is the town of Bethlehem. It leads them to a home in Bethlehem where there's a young child and a family living. And they immediately kneel down to worship. There is no doubt. This can't just be some sort of weird thing happening way up in the cosmos. It's come close. And why has God drawn these magi, these kings, these philosophers and astronomers to this place. Well, I don't know how you, can, how you can see anything else but see the love of God playing out because they even give them a dream, a dream to avoid danger on the way home. So this isn't just God using some magi or some wise men from the east to, to, to have an epiphany and to reveal himself. He's continuing, continually loving upon them these are not, I assume, Jewish folk. They're strangers. They're foreigners. Unlike the baptism, which was a kind of an epiphany, of course, a manifestation of who Jesus is, that was to the Jews and the people of the Jewish realm. But here it's foreigners. For foreigners, I can't even pronounce this correctly. It's like God is expanding this. This is for all people, even very strange people. I mean, just imagine in your mind, I'm sure you have, and we've, we, you probably have nativity scenes of what they must have looked like, very different than the people in Palestine or Israel or whatever, different from King Herod, I'm sure. And so God peers to them in a dream, demonstrating his love to them. He's using the cosmos and the, and the mysterious parts of our world. And even today, he's still doing the same thing. There are stories, you can read about tons of them, about people encountering Jesus or images of God in dreams, in visions. I'll share two of them with you. Uh, a woman recently had left the Muslim faith, but she was full of hatred and suspicion of Christians living in the East. She didn't know what to do. She asked God for help. One night she had a dream where she saw a shepherd walking about an empty tomb with a staff. The shepherd walked around it a few times and then he headed directly toward the woman. He had in his hands a loaf of bread, which he broke and offered to her. And as he did, he said to her, take, eat, this is my body. 
The pastor who was sharing the story revealed that the woman knew nothing of Christianity except for what she had been told from, you know, some of the angry people in her world. He showed her in the Bible where Jesus had said those very words. And the woman accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior and continues to serve him to this day. Or how about this story? This is from a Persian pastor who relays this. Um, a guy came up to me saying, said during the night he saw someone dressed in white raise his hand and say, stand up and follow me. This Persian man is dreaming this. And the Persian man said, who are you? And the man in white replied, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the way to heaven. No one can go to the Father except through me. And so he, this Persian guy goes and asks the pastor, the only pastor that he knew, said, who is he? What am I going to do? Why did he ask me to follow him? How shall I go? Tell me. And in response, the pastor held out his Bible and asked, have you seen this before? And the man said, no. Do you know what it is? He said, no. The pastor then opened to the book of Revelation and read these words, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the man started crying and said, how can I accept him? How can I follow him? And so the pastor led him in a prayer and he turned his life over to Christ and knew immediately, of course, that he was in danger because of where he lived. But it's a sign that God moves the, the cosmos and moves in mysterious ways in our lives and in this world because of love. There's another passage in the book of Revelation, chapter three, and it says this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is Jesus. He, well, just, he's not just using people to highlight his son, but his son is the foundation of the world. And so he loves even these magi, even these wise men, even these men and women that you and I don't know who live in darkness in other parts of the world. And he's reaching out to them because they are his sheep and he loves them. Mission Frontiers, just one final thing, has reported that out of 600 Muslim converts that they've talked to, 25% experienced the dream that led them to their conversion. I don't want it to just sit there with you because what's also true about that is 100% of them ended up talking to some Christian and was guided by some pastor or some missionary or someone to lead them to Christ. God is still using you and me, of course. You and I are not out of the, the, the path there. But, but God's love and his providence also moves the Herods of the world those enemies, those people of power and position who wish to stand in the way of what God is doing. You know, the way in which Jesus relates to the world and operates his ministry is a profound contradiction to the prevailing ways that the religious and political leaders of any age do things. It was extremely upsetting to the elites in power when Jesus came born in a manger in some backwoods town and the result caused them to lash out in extreme hate. Herod was a, about all that I can imagine being evil incarnate. He was full of violence, full of secret power, full of insecurities. Did you know, we don't know much about Herod, but we know some things. He, he killed people who threatened him or he even felt threatened him. This included some of the people that he trusted, some of his servants. He would execute them on suspicious grounds. Nothing proven. He even executed once his wife, 
who he admitted he loved, didn't trust her, thought she was having an affair. Executed the other guy too, and they, to their dying breath, I think I understand this correctly, denied it. He even killed his children because he didn't trust them. Five days, I think is what Josephus reports, before he died from a horrible disease, he had his son executed because he didn't trust him. So we read this story about King Herod. That's the next part of this, this frightening, ugly, evil story of when he's threatened by this one small little Jewish boy in a town six miles away where there's probably only a, a dozen or two of his age. He decides, let's slaughter them all. I don't, I don't trust it. What we know of his death is little, but what we can tell from his life is that he was not unlike a lot of people who attain power from unjust ways and secret ways and full of insecurity and pride. They cannot trust in God to give them what they need. Do you feel that way sometimes? And I'm not saying you're King Herod. I'm not accusing you of that, but there's probably an element in my heart that is tied to something like that, whether it's insecurity or doubt or mistrust of God providing what I need. And that when he gives me something that I really, really crave and there's a threat to it being taken away from me, can I continue to be open-handed and say, Lord, what you want? I'm reminded of Job, of course, who was a man after God's own heart and was given so many things and Satan tempted him and said, God, if you take away the things that you've given him, he'll, he'll forsake you. But Job, to his everlasting credit, remained faithful. And that even when the things that God had given him were taken away, he did not abandon his faith and trust in God. I want to be like that, not like King Herod at all. But God moves the Herods of the world to still continue to bring about his providence. They don't truly stand in his way, do they? With so much subtlety and wisdom, God just removes them. He uses all his powers to destroy those near him, and then a few days later, he just passes away from an ugly disease. There's a strange lunar eclipse, I think that night, that Joseph, Josephus uh, talks about. And so Herod, just like Pharaoh, frets and moves and grabs and grips and destroys, and they're gone but God's work moves forward. God uses the pride of Herod to complete the move of God's people out of Egypt. He doesn't just ignore them. He uses their frenetic movements to actually accomplish his will. The moves of Joseph and Mary next and Jesus are to go to Egypt, exactly where they were prophesied to be. I don't have the scriptures in front of me, I apologize, but there are prophecies in the Old Testament about this very thing that the Son of God would be in sojourning in Egypt and be brought out of Egypt and back into the promised land. Not referring necessarily to Israelites way back when, when they were in slaves, but something coming in the future. Almost as if the things that happened to the Israelites were just a precursor, a shadow of the fulfillment in Jesus himself, sojourning in Egypt and coming out of Egypt. And God uses this man of power and evil and insecurity to accomplish his own ends. For what purpose? Again, to love the world. What would it have been like for Herod just to say, okay, Lord? What if he truly would have said, okay, that may come and worship him, that Herod would have come and worship Jesus? But of course he doesn't. 
But God also moves the cosmos and the evil people of the world, the powers of the world, the herods of the world, but he also moves close to you and me. Why? Because you and I, we have tendencies like Herod too. It's the same thing that the, the world has suffered through with, that this is man's and woman's natural inclinations at times because there is sin in the world. You and I are in desperate need of healing and redemption and cleansing and being made new. Augustine said that man's first religious awareness must be of a need to be healed. He said this later in his life, reflecting back. I don't know if you know anything about Augustine, but he was, a, he was a rebellious son. His mother was a faithful woman, but he was rebellious for a long time. And so somehow in him, he knew that the sin inside of his heart not only needed purifying it, but it needed healing. But God provides right when we need it. He moves close to you, not only in your heart, but in your life. He is the provision. Not only is God moving the cosmos, the star of Bethlehem down, not only is he moving Herod aside and using Herod's power and might and insecurity to actually accomplish his goals, but he's also coming even closer. Have you ever thought it was strange that these magi brought these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh? And another thing, why, why were Mary and Joseph and Jesus still in Bethlehem? I mean, at this point, Jesus is probably a year or maybe even two years old. I know that doesn't go with the whole nativity scene, but they come, they come later. That's later. They come and they worship him, who's now a toddler. He's probably, you know, you guys have toddlers. You know what they're like. Toddlering about. I mean, can I imagine the Messiah and the Son of God doing that? But there he is. And they bring gifts. They bring wealth and provision to a very poor family. Maybe that's why they're still in Bethlehem. They don't have what it takes to get out of there or go back home or they just have to settle in. And all this things happened at once where, where the, 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 the gifts are coming and, and Herod's freaking out and then he, he gives this kind of ultimatum or this pronouncement of killing all these young people and then they have to, they have to go and they have to flee. But, it, but how would they have done that if these gifts hadn't come to them? You see how this call from God of these magi moving the cosmos and moving Herod to bring them here was also provision for Mary and Joseph to do the necessary thing. That in the nick of time, they were given what they needed to do what God asked them to do. Isn't that so like you and me when there are things that we have to have done and we're straining and we're full of anxiety of God's provision and then it, it comes in the nick of time like Gandalf on top of the hill with the armies of Rohirrim coming and saving in the nick of time. I'll tell you just a personal story real quick just to, to end it there. I, there was a time in my ministry working with Philip and the Anglican Mission and All Saints has been amazing, but there was a time not too long ago when I was like in a season of kind of depression. I don't know how else to describe it. I was really like just bent out of shape and hurt and tired and out of the blue, Bishop Philip texted me and said, hey, I want to meet with you this week. And this was like a Wednesday afternoon or a Thursday. There wasn't much time left. And I was like, okay, maybe tomorrow. And I have all this baggage from other experience of having, you know, your boss kind of text you and say, we need to meet this week. I'm like, shoot. <laughs> you know what that's like. 
But that's not the way he operates at all, if you know anything about him. And I've, I've over the years come to learn it, but this is one of those moments where I learned who he was. He came and all he wanted to do was check in with me and hear from me how I was doing. Who does that? As a boss, I mean, you know? He comes in and he checks with me and then when he realizes where I'm at, and he can see it on my face, he decides he wants to just encourage me and he does. He says some things that I'll never forget. How proud he is of me, like a dad would do. And then he prays over me and he blesses me. And I thought to myself after that, I was like, that was just in the nick of time. I, I needed that. I didn't know I needed that. But that suddenly brought to mind how amazing God is to provide for you and me. And of course, there's all sorts of other stories you could probably tell about things like that and people in your life or finances, somebody dropping off a check or a meal. You know, maybe you had a hard day and somebody just says, hey, I bought a meal for you. You're like, I didn't know what we were gonna do for dinner. Not that you didn't have the money, but you were just exhausted. So we don't need to worry at all about any of this stuff. But like the Magi, that we would live in such a way that we would just follow his signs, which by the way, are undergirded by his love, that we would trust in his visions for our life and then wait to be guided and know that whatever we need will be provided for in the nick of time. When you think about epiphany, what's profound about this is the God's not just saying, here I am, but he's saying, here's my love and here's what I'm like. And the story of Mary and Joseph and the Magi and Herod is exactly that. It is God revealing himself to us, his character, his faithfulness, and his love. And it doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to be Jewish. I'm not. You could be a strange one, dressed really weird. God does love you, and he guides you. The power that moves the cosmos is the love of God in Jesus Christ. Let us be like the Magi who bend our knee and worship such a God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this story, this truth, this way that you revealed yourself to the world and what it means for us 2,000 years later in this church, in our own lives, that you are still looking down upon us, shouting to us, that all the things moving in our lives and in the cosmos and even in our own enemies is a demonstration of your love. So Lord, we thank you for it and ask that you would find us faithful in worship. Let it begin today. In Christ's name, amen.